0: So if you have your Bibles electronic devices, you can click to or turn to with me Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So if you're the type of person that likes to follow along or read along, whether it's an old school like leather Bible or paper Bible, or whether it's an electronic device, whatever works best for you is fine with us, or you can just read along on the screens as I I read the verses and the the principles, the points are going to come up as well. And so this morning I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1, just four verses, just the four the first four verses before we left for like Thanksgiving break I sketched out this sermon I sketched out this outline intending and, and now I'm preaching the title of this message is just the blessings of God Knowing that we, like many of you, are going to celebrate Thanksgiving with our family, we're going to gather around a table, and at some moment, some part, part uh, we're going to talk about how God has blessed us. And we're going to talk about how how uh, how thankful we are for this last year. And so our Thanksgiving may look a lot like your Thanksgiving. We planned our meal in between the Bills and the Cowboys game, and so that that's we're we are we are a football family. And so my wife and I've never said this. I hope it's okay, but my wife is from Niagara Falls, New York so she's a she's a Bills fan and so I'm a Cowboy fan and so we scheduled it in between there so we could each see our teams and so we, we've had this discussion about oh no both teams are pretty good what happens if the Bills and the Cowboys are in the Super Bowl and Karen just looked at me and said well we'll cross that bridge when it comes and so uh, <laughs> I may be staying at one of your houses I don't know <laughs> And so we're, we're a football, we're a football family, and so we gathered around, and and we were in Colorado Springs with Brittany, our oldest daughter, and th- their three kids, our three grandkids, and and her husband, and so. But I noticed something different this year. Maybe it was because I was thinking about this message and some of the scriptures and talking about the blessings of God, but I noticed something different this year when we re- went around the table and just started sharing what are we thankful for. And it was less the externals. It was more the internals. It was less about possessions and stuff and vacations and toys and all of those other things, but it was more about spiritual blessings. It was more we, we thank God for his provisions. We thank God for answered prayer. We thank God for that miracle. We, we thank God for how he provided. The grandkids were big and thanking God for everybody like everybody that, that's, a, that's around the table. And so maybe that came as a result of our family because the last couple of years for us have been pretty difficult, it's been like a valley. And so maybe for us, there was a deeper awareness. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the blessings of God because sometimes I think we get it confused. Sometimes I think we think all the blessings of God are, are like money and possessions and things and vacations and, and, and careers and some of those other things. And, and, but but when, when you look at what Paul begins to try to help these, the, the people in Ephesus understand that our primary blessings, our primary blessings are spiritual blessings. When we look at the blessings of God just theologically, yes, he provides and yes, he takes care of us. But when you look at this, there's a lot of spiritual blessings that he has given. See, Paul is writing into the church in Ephesus and it, it's it's a white-collar community. And so for them, they were talking about, well, the, well, the good life, the good life is found in possessions and, and career and popularity and, and stuff. And Paul begins trying to pull them back and say, no, you don't understand. The spiritual blessings are what... What gives you the good life? The good life is in Christ. That's just another way of saying that you're a Christ follower. And so he writes in, in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verses, verses 1 through 4, is all we're looking at this morning. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by God's will to the faithful saints, and, and, and just so you know, we'll talk about this later, that if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you're a saint. Positionally, you're a saint. And we're gonna understand that. In Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, with some, with part, with every, with every. And listen, let me tell you something. I've looked that Greek word up. Every, you know what it means? Every. It means everyone. It means everyone. That he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens in in Christ in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And so when you look at this, Paul is trying to help them to understand about these issues of of spiritual life. And the good life starts off with Jesus. The good life starts off with understanding the spiritual blessings in your life. But we, unfortunately, live in a world that doesn't teach us to be be more concerned with the internal than the external. Fact is, our world teaches us it's all about the external, right? It's all about the the above-the-surface stuff, not below-the-surface stuff. So this morning, I want to give you three things to help us understand. the blessings of God and what that means uh, for us. The first one is this, is that God has a purpose and a plan for my life. God has a purpose and a plan for my life. Whether we understand it or not, whether we realize it or not, God has a purpose and he has a plan for my life. And this, this thought helps us through the valley helps us through the difficulties of life to understand, you know what, God has a purpose and God has a plan for my life. I know I just read the first two verses, but I just think it's so important because it's what this principle comes out of. Just to reread it, here's what it says. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul comes to this place and he understood God has a plan for my life. He not only has a plan for my life, he has a purpose for my life. He says, I'm apostle because of God's will. Now listen, I think pastors have like, like messed this whole deal up, uh, for a lot of churches. And, and i I've, I've early in my ministry, I would say these same same things as well. So as pastors, we talk a lot about a call, right? That, that God called me. God called me into the ministry. God called me to plant a church. God called me to come to Pueblo, Colorado, and all those things. So we use this word call a whole lot. And, and so it, it gives the impression that God only like calls people into ministry. God only calls pastors and some of those other things. And quite honestly, a lot of us don't really understand that, right? About this issue of a call. And so what Paul would say, Paul never Use the word call. Paul used the word, look at this. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, Paul came to the place and said, You know what? I was created for this. God wired me for this. God gave me the gifts. God gave me the talents. God gave me the abilities. And you can say this as well, right, in your profession, in your career, whether it's in the home or out of the home or whatever that looks like, that you can come to the place some of the most passionate people I know in the community, in a profession, in a career are those that says, you know what, God wired me for this. Man, God created me. for." I feel the most alive. When I'm do- whatever that is, whether it's a school teacher, a doctor, attorney, a, uh, a nurse, an electrician, a plumber, or whatever, to where you come to the place and say, you know, what, God has wired me for this. God, God is. I have great passion. I feel alive when I do this. That I understand that God has a purpose, He has a plan for my life, and then you can put some some you know you can put some things to that because I'm, I'm I'm around people, I can influence them, I can help them, I can change them, and so Paul was saying, you know what, I am able to do what I do, because God is the one that created me for this. I I am not an apostle because of my will, because of 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 a church forced me to do it, because of the other apostles. Uh, I I'm not an apostle because I was in the right place at the right time. I networked well. I knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. Paul says, no, I'm an apostle. Why? Because of God's will. God has a purpose, and God has a plan for my life. And as a result of that, I'm going to influence the the talent and the treasure I have for the kingdom. And see, Paul. Paul also understood that, listen, the Christian life is not about perfection. It's about progress. And Paul understood he he wasn't perfect. He understood that. And in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10, this is just what he writes. It's just so transparent. And he he writes, he says, for I'm the least of, of the apostles, not worthy to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He couldn't get over how he behaved before he met Christ. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was within me, and a little bit later Paul, Paul actually writes, he says, hey, I, I just need you guys to know, I was, the, I was the worst of the apostles, I was the worst of all sinners. Now I've thought about that a lot, I don't think Paul did like a survey, I don't think Paul like, like wrote a letter to the other apostles, hey, why don't you answer this survey, why don't you list out for me for your, like your biggest sins, and I know my biggest sins, and we're going to figure out who was the worst sinner of all time. I don't think Paul did that at all. Fact is, Paul was vividly aware of his own sins and he could not conceive anybody else's sins worse than his. When you understand how much God has forgiven you, when you understand what God has done, the grace of God that is work within you is what Paul said. When you understand that, you don't go around pointing out everybody else's sin, right? When you understand what God has done for you in your life and the grace of God and what he's forgiven you for, you're not not the one going around and letting everybody know how bad the world is and how bad that person is and what they, because you understand because of the grace of God that is with me and what he's done for me. There's a popular saying that says, you know what, you probably heard it and you may have said it, there's a time in my life I actually said it, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? You've heard that. Paul would never say that. You know what Paul would say? How about this? Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Deal with your own sin. And Paul, Paul came to this place that he understood that, you know what? He is not He is not perfect. And as a result of that, it is God's, it is God's grace that is working within him. And it, it, ra- it radically changed Paul. And so just here, here's a thought that comes out of this, and we'll flesh that, this, this thought out. But there's a thought that comes out of this, and for you and for me, The most important thing about you is not the things you achieve. It's the person you become. It's not the things you and I achieve. It's the person you and I become as we walk with Christ and we understand that his grace is at work within us. The Christian life is not so much perfection. It is progress. It is making progress. It is walking with him. And so the most important thing about you, the most important thing about me is not the things you achieve. It's the person you and I become and how we work through those things. I thought about this as we were at Thanksgiving with the, with the grandkids. And, you know, the grandkids, they don't care what I do for a living. They don't care what Karen does for a living. I mean, we're not at the Thanksgiving table, and, you know, one of my grandsons looks over at me, hey, Pop-Pop, how many of you running at church now nowadays? How big is your church? I mean, what, what was that sermon? You know what? They, they, don't, they don't care about anything. You know what they care about? Do I love them? Do I care for them? Uh, my, my grandson, it's just kind of a funny story, but my grandson, Micah, his desire this Thanksgiving, I mean, his desire was he wanted me to sleep in the top bunk of his bunk beds. That's all he cared about. He didn't care about what I did for a living. He didn't care how big the church was. He didn't care about how many services we run. He he didn't care about, you know what he cared about? He just cared about would I sleep in the top bunk with him, and I, I think I've reached that age of, like, no more. And so... uh <laughs> But Micah, Micah was, like, determined. And so finally I, I got to the point, and I says, okay, Micah, I'll, I'll sleep. I'll sleep in the top bunk, and hopefully I'll be able to get out of it in the morning. And so, uh, <laughs> and when I made that decision, then our youngest granddaughter, Nessa, goes, well, okay, I got to sleep over with, with, with Nana. And so that actually meant none of us got any sleep that night, none of us. <laughs> fact is, fact is, after I got in the, the top bunk, you know, and the lights are out, Micah from the bottom bunk, because he wasn't going to give up the bottom bunk for me. That, that was his bunk. And so, uh, <laughs> and so Micah goes, hey, pop pop." I go, yeah. He goes, I talked to my dad. My dad said, don't worry, this bunk bed is made out of the strongest wood possible. You're not going to fall through. And I'm like, Micah, <laughs> I know I'm carrying a little bit of holiday weight, but give me a break. And he, he's like, which one, Pop-Pop? And I go, just go to bed. Just go. Just, just, just go to sleep. And so we're still trying to recover, still trying to catch up with, with our sleep. But you know what they care about? They don't Listen, they don't care about how much we've achieved, and they don't care about any of that. You know what they care about? They care about, listen, do we love them? Man, so many times with families, we think the more we accomplish, the more success we have, the more things we have, people around us are going to love us more. You know what they care about? It's the person you and I become. It's the person you and I become. This, this Thanksgiving, when we went on Thanksgiving break, I, I noticed a book. and I, well, The fact is I saw an interview of Jimmy Johnson, the, 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 uh, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys that uh, replaced Tom Landry and took him to two Super Bowl wins, and then we've won nothing since. But... <laughs> and Jimmy Johnson wrote a book. It's called Swagger. I saw an interview that he did, and he says, in some respects, I wrote this book to say I'm sorry to my family. And that caught my attention, so I said, i got to have the book. And so I I picked up the book, and I started reading it, and and it it came to to one scene I just want to mention in Jimmy Johnson's life. And Jimmy Johnson had had won his his second Super Bowl, and he said, I I felt just emptiness inside. That that second football trophy didn't give me the the feelings that I, I thought it would. And he said, so I'm making my way to the car after the Super Bowl win, and things are going through my mind, and I'm thinking about how much I had sacrificed my family. Both my boys played high school and college football, and I never watched them play it down in their life, never even coached them, never even gave them any hints, never even saw saw any of their tips, uh, uh, never saw any of their tapes, which to give them some tips. And I'm making my way to the car, and I'm thinking about when I became the... Coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and they were already out of the home, and I divorced my wife because I wanted to have a single focus on the Cowboys. And how much that hurt them. He said, I make my way to the car, and there are my two sons, they're leaned up against the car. And uh, they're they're excited about the Super Bowl win, and they're telling me, Dad, you know, you're awesome, and next year you're gonna win a third one, and for sure you'll be in the Hall of Fame. And he said, It was in that moment I decided I was gonna resign from the Dallas Cowboys. It wasn't the fight with Jerry Jones, the famous story in the bar and the bar fight and that. I, I decided then. He said, and you know why I decided then to, to quit? Because I did not like the man I'd become. I'd become a tyrant. I'd become angry. I'd become selfish. I only cared about my wants, my desires, my things. I became vindictive. I became unforgiving and uncaring and I did not like the man I became. The world gives us very little information on how to deal with the internal life. Pete Gazzaro is famous about the, the iceberg principles and if you've been through emotional, healthy, spirituality or some of those other things, you know what I'm talking about. The Pete Gazzaro says of, a, of an iceberg, only 10% is above the surface and then 90% of the iceberg is under the surface. Larry Crabb would use above the waterline below the waterline. And both of them have the similar thoughts. And they would say this, that the world teaches us to focus on the 10% that's above the waterline. Our accomplishments, our success, our actions, our words, but yet Jesus and the Apostle Paul would tell us that what really matters in life is when we focus on things below the surface. We focus on the internal life. We focus on the spiritual life that above the waterline would be our social networks and our accomplishments and our possessions, but below the waterline, below the surface that nobody else could see, that's where we spiritually connect with God. That's where we build character. That's where we build our values. That's what ultimately changes above the surface type stuff. Jesus would say this in in life journaling. We life journaled this verse just yesterday Matthew 23, 25 and 26, verses 25 and 26, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup. That's above the surface stuff. We only care about what it looks like to everybody else. We only care about what what is visible. And the outside of the cup and dish. But inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup below the waterline, below the surface. So the outside of the cup may also be clean to where you come to this place to where we live every day in awareness of the presence of God. That's why Paul says, you know what works with me, works in me with God is his grace. Paul had this awareness that guess what? God is with me wherever I go. That God has a purpose and God has a plan for my life and I was wired for this and I was wired for what, what I'm doing. And as a result of that, I have this awareness that God is always with me. Whether it's at the job, whether it's in the home, whether it's with my family, whether it's my, my, my friends, whether it's, whether it's doing a hobby or something, I have this awareness that God is with me. And this is where we build a life of spiritual disciplines, of prayer and reading of Scripture and some of the, those other things. And so Paul is helping us to understand that, listen, God has a purpose and plan for my life. He even, what, what Paul later, what, I'm sorry, what Luke says in the book of Acts, Says God even determines the place where I live. Look at this, Acts 17, 26. From one man he has made every nationality to live other, uh, to live over the whole earth. It has determined their appointed times and boundaries where they live. He did this so that they may seek God and perhaps they may reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God has determined not only the purpose and plan for our life, but God determines the places where we live. Do you realize that? I mean, this is awareness. Paul had this awareness of God. A famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declarations, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And Paul's life verse would be in Philippians three ten, and he just simply says this. He says, For my, my goal is to know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death. And Paul would say, Paul would say, my life goal is is just to know him. Just to know him at a deeper level. And the only way we do that is by reading of scripture and by prayer and some spiritual disciplines. And Paul wrote, remember when we started this out, and Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus. A saint is not someone who is perfect, perfect. A saint is not someone who's performed some miracle or something like that. The scripture says a saint is someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. A saint is someone that knows him. A saint is someone that, that, that understands that he has been or she has been set apart from some extraordinary work that you have a purpose and a plan and that's why he started us off and said, may God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace, and some of you just need to hear that this morning. May God give you just grace, and may God just give you peace. And the second principle is this, God is not withholding anything good from me. God is not, listen, God is not holding anything good for me, and this principle is just so important, especially when you go through times of darkness, and especially when you go through suffering, to understand that, guess what? God has given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and God is listen. God is not withholding anything good from me. Verse three, as we just move on, blessed is God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Three times in that verse, Paul uses a different form, a different text te- tense of the word "blessed." Look at that. Blessed is God is the God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So purposely, Paul used three different forms of the root word bless, blessing, blessed, which, which, well, let me back up, is where we get our word uh, eulogy. eulogy. Eulogy just simply means to speak well of. Just to speak well of. A lot of times we hear that at funerals, right? Someone stands up and someone gives a eulogy and they speak well of that individual. But as humans, a lot of times and many times our words that we say about a person doesn't match our actions towards that person, if we're honest, right? Just sometimes it doesn't. The words that we say about a person doesn't match our actions towards that person. Not so with God. When God is a subject and God's the subject of this verse what what Paul is saying is with God guess what his eulogies over us his words always match with his actions you can go all the way back to genesis let there be light what there was light let there be water there was water let there be land so with his mouth all of a sudden it spoke it into existence and so when you look at this you realize that with God with God his words always matched his actions and so I don't know if you realize this or not, God is not withholding anything good from you. And what the scripture says, that God is in heaven right now speaking a eulogy over you. And God speaks well of you. I mean, you, you look at in, verse, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by what? By the word of God. Because his actions always match his words so that what is seen was made from things that are, that are not visible. And so when you understand this, you understand that, that God is not withholding anything good from you. And so that means now you could trust him. When you come to that place and say, guess what? God's every, already given me every spiritual blessing, every heavenly blessing. Well, what are those blessings? And what are the blessings of God? What is Paul talking? He's talking about the spiritual blessings in Christ, like redemption. And he removes transgressions or he forgives transgressions. He, he, he does not punish us for our iniquities. He, he forgives us of our sins. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. He gives us continual forgiveness of sin. He has sealed us, and which means that once we're in Christ, once we accept him and we're in the family, nothing can get us kicked out of the family. And a lot of times when we look at Scripture and people get confused about what is an iniquity and what is a transgression, why are they both in Scripture? I mean, why are they both in Scripture? That it says he doesn't punish us for our iniquities, but he forgives us for our transgressions. So what is that? What is the difference between an iniquity and a transgression and why is it so important? Well, iniquity, just real, just quickly, iniquity is, is, is an attitude, a thought, it's a heart issue. A transgression, an easier way to think of a transgression is to trans, transpass, trespass, to step over a, a boundary line. So if we just kind of play that out just for a moment, an iniquity is to have a heart, to have an attitude to where you're thinking something that you shouldn't be thinking about doing and you get all the way up, you get all the way up to that that boundary marker. And then a transgression would be you'd finally trespass, you'd finally step over. Iniquity, below the surface. Transgression, trespass. Above the surface. And Paul says, guess what? Every spiritual blessing, God doesn't punish you for your attitude. God doesn't punish you for that. And guess what? God forgives you for transgressions. God forgives you for sin. so Paul would say, the spiritual blessings is just the forgiveness of God in your life. The third and the last thing is this, is fortunately God God saw me when I was a long way off. God saw me when I was a long way off, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Man, it's a, it's a pretty cool deal to be chosen, right? It's a pretty awesome deal just to, just to be able to say, somebody chose me because they wanted a relationship with me. Remember in middle school or high school when you would have those, those, those playground pickup games, right? whether it was volleyball, whether it was softball, whether it was baseball, whether it was football, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you elect two team captains and they begin choosing up teams, right? Nobody wanted to be the last one chosen, right? I mean, nobody. I still remember some of those in, in, in school growing up. Nobody, I meant nobody wanted to be the last one chosen. And I tell you this, God chose you first. God chose you, just what he says, God chose you in him before the before the foundations of the world. And remember that God's thought always carries God's action. That he, he thought of you. He thought of you. I mean, your blessing was spoken over you before you were even born. Before it even happened. And when you look at this, it's just continual action. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 119.73 says, Your hands made me and formed me and give me understanding so that I could learn your commands. And so one of the things I just want you to understand, part of your spiritual blessing is is God saw you when you're a long way off. And God chose you. And a lot of times we think of the prodigal son with with the father, right? And the father represents God and the prodigal represented us in the story. And that when the prodigal went away from home and wandered off, look at this, Luke chapter 15, 20, it says, So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arm around his neck, and he he kissed him. And it was God in the story that met the prodigal and didn't even make him go through his whole rehearsed speech and accepted him and loved him and that God chose you when you were a long way off, but you have, to, you have to choose him. You have to come to that place to where you accept him and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of sins. And maybe, maybe you have never done that. Maybe you have never done that. And the Scripture teaches that, that, God created, that before he laid the foundations of the world, that God chose you. And have you come to the place to where you've chosen him? So you've asked him to come into your life to forgive your sins. You just had this awareness that your sins have separated you from God. And you've asked him, and you ask him to come into your life. If you have never done that, this would be a great weekend to do that. Fact is, um, December 10 and 11, in a couple of weeks, we're, we're having baptism weekend. And I think, I think we're well over 10 people now that are scheduled to be baptized. If you have never been baptized by immersion after you met Christ and just followed his commands... That is our first step, act of obedience, and maybe you'd pray about. You know what? I'm just going to follow him. I'm going to follow him in believer's baptism. We had a had a lady in our church service last night, um, an an older lady, um, never been in church in her life, and said, "What is this baptism thing?" I think I need to give my life to Christ, and I, I think I need to do that. And maybe that's you. You can let us know several different ways. You can let us know through the Connect card. There's a, seat, there's a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can complete that. You can place that in one of the boxes. We'll contact you, and would love to include you in on what God is doing here December 10 and 11 as we look to the future together. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?